we go. Um, have you, anyone who's got a Bible with them today, or like a real Bible? Jolly good, none of that digital nonsense, thank you. Cheers. So uh, if you'd like to turn to the book of Exodus, and we'll look at Exodus 19, verses 3 to 6. And it says, In the month that the children of Israel had gone forth out of the land of Egypt, that same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, for they had left Rephidim. Sorry, I'm reading from verse 3, aren't I? Big pardon. Um, and Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus will you say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you will be a peculiar treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you will be a kingdom of priests and to me a holy nation. These are the words which you will speak to the children of Israel. Now, when I was looking at this verse this week and meditating on this passage again you know I like to just home in on a couple of verses or a couple of phrases and the phrase that come out this week was the the first five words of verse three it says and Moses went up to God Moses went up to God by the way I've got some guest speakers coming in the next couple of weeks so if you're all getting bored of me that's great so you'll, you'll be all right yay because I'm getting bored of me as well um, yeah, so basically what I love about the Bible is that sometimes you can read it and you can just miss so much because we, we're just trying to get you know, an intellectual understanding of the scriptures, but actually it's the little nuances in the text you get some wonderful revelations. And one of the quintessential concepts from the Old Testament is this concept here, which is about going up to God. Okay, So you know, often we expect God to condescend down to our level, don't we? But I've got good news for you, or bad news for you. Well, the good news is he has already condescended to our level because he took on flesh inside the virgin's womb, squished himself into a human body and walked about and became as one of us, eh? fully human and fully God. So he's condescended to our level. But now that he's made us children of the living God, he expects us to now go up to our Father in heaven. He doesn't expect us to, him to come down to us. He expects us as children to go into the heavenlies. And we'll look at a little bit more of this in a minute. So if you quickly turn to Psalm 24, I'm going to have a few scriptures here and there today. And this is also talking about going up to God. And this is, it says here, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? I'm going to move out a little bit because I feel a bit boomy this here. Who shall ascend the, uh, the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. So the hill of the Lord, it represents higher spiritual ground. Okay, it's a, it's a prophetic thing. It's talking about getting higher in the things of God. But it also has an end time concept to it as well. Big word of the day, eschatology, referring to the study of end times. And this links to Isaiah 2, verses 2 to 3. I'll just read it to you. And it says, in the last days. Which days? days. All right, so, so it hasn't already happened. It's, it's still yet to be fulfilled. And there is a lot of Old Testament prophecy that hasn't still been third. A third of your Old Testament still needs to be fulfilled. So, you know, some say, oh, we don't do the Old Testament stuff. It's all finished. But it actually isn't. It's got a, still got a loud voice and a lot of it's still to come to pass. So in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains and will be exalted above the hills and all the nations will flow to it. And many people will go and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, 
to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the Torah will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So in the last days, we're going to make pilgrimage and ascend up to the mountain of the Lord. Now, just a little bit of end times theology here. What happens is just prior to Jesus' return, it says in Revelation that there'll be an earthquake the earth has never, ever seen before or ever again after that time, where the whole topography of the world will be literally transformed and changed. And Mount Zion, it says in the Psalms, will be raised up to become the chief mountain of the world. Okay. And so what will happen is then Jesus will come and he will sit on Mount Zion and he will rule and reign from there and all the nations shall go up to him and then on the Temple Mount you will have the Ezekiel's temple that will be built at that time by the Messiah as well so this is kind of like basically a little bit of end time stuff there that you expect so whether we are all going to go up to the house of the Lord one day we're going to make pilgrimage and we're going to see Jesus in the flesh sat on Mount Zion and we're going to go up to him hallelujah isn't that good so but in the meantime, we can still go up to higher grounds. In the meantime, we can actually go to Mount Zion. I could go to there right now. I could go there in a second, nanosecond. Does anyone you know how you do that? Do, do you know where this Mount Zion is? Sorry? A good, good guess, yeah, okay. Any other, any other guesses? You had a vision of it as well? Yeah, just now, All right, well, praise God. Yeah, literally. Amen. Well, I'll tell you where it is right now. There's two Mount Zions, and this is really important. So Hebrews 12, verse 22 says, well, I'll wind it back to verse 18. It says, For you have not approached Mount Sinai, which can be touched, this is referring to the flesh, and was being burned by fire, was in darkness and gloom and storm, nor by a chauffeur sound or by spoken words, which when they heard, they begged that no further message be given to them. In other words, the Mount Sinai was a terrifying experience, okay? For they were not bearing patiently that which was commanded. If a beast would even touch the mountain, it must be stoned. And it was so fearful that Moses said, I am terrified and trembling. But saints, you have come to Mount Zion, and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and thousands of angels in festal assembly. There's a Mount Zion in heaven. Now, this is what excites me. I've said this a lot of times, but, you know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, what we're actually praying for is this wonderful mystery. Because at the moment, God the Father is seated on the throne in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, in the promised land in heaven, if you like, Israel. And one day the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be seated on the throne in Mount Zion, over Jerusalem, over Israel and over the nations. And so what you're doing is you're seeing our, uh, was it the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, I just need to get started, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so you will see the two Mount Zions, the two Jerusalems, the two Israels that are ruling over the nations finally come together as Father is sat on his throne and Jesus is sat on his throne. And so you see finally the fullness of the kingdom of God manifest on the earth and the will of the Father being done on the earth as it is being done on heaven. So when you're praying the Lord's Prayer, that is in part what you're praying as well. It's quite exciting, isn't it? Hallelujah. All right. So. You and I, we can go up to the mountain of God whenever we like, because the mountain of God for us is in heaven, Mount Zion. Hallelujah. Now, why do we go up to the mountain of the Lord? Okay, because we, we did we not read uh, in Isaiah 2. It says we go up to the mountain of the Lord and it says he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. 
for the law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So we go up into the mountain of God to receive something from God. This is not to receive just a, some kind of super spiritual experience. This is so that we may go up into the presence of God, that we may receive something from God that will change us and transform us, that we come back down again, and then we impart that into our own lives, into the lives of others. A typical example of a guy that went up is Moses. Okay? He went up to the mountain and he came down a very changed man. Okay? He came down with, with the word of God that changed the world, you know, like the Ten Commandments. I mean, that's changed everything, right? Everyone knows the Ten Commandments. It just changed everything. He went up. So see, some Christians are like, oh, I just want to go up, but I never want to come down. You can do that when you die. All right, but wait, I just want to go up, but I never want to come down. No, the point is you go up so you come down, so that we can change ourselves, so that we can change those around us, so we can bring life and revelation and transformation into the world around us. That's the point of this. It's not so we, we go up and have this amazing experience, although you can have that, but it's actually so we bring it back down. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Because Jesus, he came down, he went back, he's coming back again. Uh, you know, it's like a lot of us think that when we go to heaven, that we're going to just be on these nice big fluffy marshmallow clouds with a harp and, uh, and flying arrows with the angels up there and stuff. But that's, that's not what it's about at all, because you are a tripartite being. You've got a spirit, you've got a soul and you've got a physical body. And guess what? You're going to have a resurrection body one day. What are you going to do with that resurrection body? Where are you going to live? In a mansion. Oh, in a mansion, yeah. Well, but you'll live on the earth with Christ. Okay, and then when there's a new heaven and a new earth, everyone's super spiritualized, it's like some kind of spooky spiritual dimension. No, it's an earth, okay? Okay, that city in heaven, it says it comes out of heaven and lands on the earth. Well, you are gonna be in your physical bodies forever, all right? So you're not gonna be spending all eternity in heaven, you're gonna be spending it eventually either down here for a thousand years and then on a new heaven and a new earth for all eternity. So you will always have a physical body, all right? If you say so. All right. It will be a resurrection body, yeah. And you can eat as much cake as you like. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> but then you won't have the spirit of gluttony either, will you? Marks and Spencers. To treat tree of cake next to the tree of life you'll have to take that up with Jesus I'm afraid on that one now I am what I'm talking about today is I'm not talking about intellectual understanding of the scriptures uh, I'm, I'm trying to show us there's a way where we can have that deep spiritual and intimate understanding of the scriptures you know there's those times when you open the bible and and it's just like it just comes alive and it speaks to you well, Jesus doesn't want you to have that once a month or once every couple of years. He wants you to have that every moment of every single day if you ascend the mountain of the Lord. That's the promise that you can have for this. Because those that ascend the mountain of the Lord, God will teach them his ways so that, he, that you can walk in his paths. Okay? This works. I've been doing this for five years and I've proved that it works. And I can do it anytime, any place, anywhere. And I can get instant, I mean instant revelation from the Holy Spirit. Okay, I've been to Bible college and Bible college is great. I can, I can read Hebrew, I can read Greek, okay? And my head's like really big and heavy, right? 
don't laugh because it's, you know, our head is really big and it's really heavy. And that's how I left Bible college with this big fat head. Okay, but the thing is, with that big fat head, you can't really do a lot. You just think you're really clever. But then you soon realize there's this big disconnect between what's in there and what's in there. But the revelation that comes from God comes right into there and then into there. And it changes you, it transforms you. And I'll tell you all about this in a minute, how, what it is and how we do it. So let's turn to our New Testament now. So I'm going to look at Revelation chapter 4. And again, this is all about going, going up. And this is from verse 1. It says, After these things I looked, and there was a door that was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking with me was like a shofar, saying, You must come up here. All right? You must come up. <laughs> Okay, and I will show you what must happen after these things. And I immediately was in the spirit and there was a throne standing in heaven and one seated upon the throne. And the one who was seated had an appearance like a jasper and sardius stone and a rainbow like an emerald in appearance surrounded the throne. John got a revelation of the future because he went up to the heavenly realms. And I'm not, this is not a super spiritual sermon. This is very practical, actually, okay? In case you're like, what is this going up? What does that even mean? We'll get there in a minute. But I'm teaching you an Old Testament concept that is also mentioned a lot in the New Testament that we as Christians need to do so that we can understand the things of God and his scriptures, all right? So, to receive the things of God and to know what's coming and to be aware of all manner of things and for God to give us his teachings, we need to go up. It's an invitation, it's an honor, it's a privilege. We are children of the king, right? If I wouldn't want the king to come to my house. I would like to go to his house, okay? And so, you know, the king's already kind of living in my house anyway, but I wanna, I wanna go up and be in the presence of the king. That's where I wanna be. And the, and the presence of the, 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 the four, you know, 24 elders and the four living creatures and where Jesus is. So I want to be there. I don't want to be in my house. I want to be up there. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. That's the place where I want to be. So when we looked at Psalm 24 a minute ago, it says, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? And it says those with clean hands and a pure heart. It means that we have to be, first and foremost, practically as Christians, we need to be living a life that is endeavoring to be a holy life. Okay, and that we're, we're regularly confessing our sins to, to, to Jesus. In 1 John 1 9, it says, He who confesses, sorry, if you confess your sins, he is faithful, just, and true to forgive you your sins. But the word there for confess in the Greek is a present tense. That means it's not a one off. It's not like, oh, when I got saved, I, I said sorry to Jesus. This is an ongoing thing. Now, the question I often get then is, well, what if you've sinned and you don't even know that you've sinned, but you haven't confessed it? Will you lose your salvation? No, of course you won't. Because again, that kind of idea comes from a lack of understanding of the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, one of the offerings that was, that was presented was for trespass offerings in ignorance. Yeah, unintentional sin. So you've done something that you weren't even aware of it necessarily. So when you as Christians, you first get saved, there's lots of stuff that you're doing, which quite frankly you think's okay, but God's like, that ain't okay. But you don't know about it, right? Okay, so that's covered because that unintentional sin offering was done by Jesus. So then when the Holy Spirit starts maturing you and you become more aware of things, then you just say, Lord, I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I thought that. I'm sorry I said that. Uh, and, and you can walk in that place of forgiveness. That's really important. Now I'm gonna read a scripture to you now that you might think is not in your New Testament, but it really is. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter six. 
This is really quite a stunning scripture. And this is from verse 14. It says, You must not ever become unevenly yoked with unbelievers, for some would mix righteousness and iniquity, or some the fellowship in light with darkness. But what agreement is there in Messiah with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement can anyone have with idols in a sanctuary of God? For we are a sanctuary of the living God. Just as God said that, I shall dwell, uh, sorry, I shall dwell and I shall walk among them and I shall be their God and they shall be my people. On this account, you must immediately come out of the midst of them and you must be separated from them at once, says the Lord, and you must not ever touch the unclean, then I shall take you in. And I shall be for you a father and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord of hosts. Now watch this, verse 1 of chapter 7. So since we have these promises, beloved, we should cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh, all defilement of flesh, and of spirit. There's a lot of theology called hypergrace theology, which says that now that you're righteous in Christ, nothing can affect your spirit, man. Nothing can make it dirty. Nothing can make it impure. But the scriptures are clear. Since you have these promises below, we should cleanse ourselves. Not God, you do it. Cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and of spirit, bringing about holiness in reverent fear of God. So it's important that as a people that we learn to be a holy people. Now, I'm not after moral perfection, but it's learning just to walk closer and closer to God and have that life of holiness about us. Yeah. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you say. Um, just be just, you know, and, and for, like, especially for young people and older people, make sure you're living in sexual purity and things like that. It's walking in that place of holiness and being set apart for God. Hallelujah. Amen. Right. So how can we practically ascend the hill of the Lord? Well, you've been putting these scriptures up. Well done, Zach. Good man. All right. So there, what I did is I looked at the Psalms of Ascent. Has anyone heard of them? The Psalms of Ascent? Yeah. They're not smelly Psalms. It's just about Ascent. Sorry, that's a terrible joke. Psalm of Ascent. Thank you. Psalm of Ascent is about, was written, most of them were by King David, which was about the time when the Ark of the Covenant was taken out of the Mosaic Tabernacle down the road and David brought it in, although it's technical too because it was outside at that time, it's a big long story, but anyway, he brought the Ark of the Covenant and he placed it on Mount Zion and he put a little tent around it so everybody could see the Ark of the Covenant, which again was not allowed because only, only the high priest could see it and only once a year. And it was placed on Mount Zion for 40 years and, and all like, the sons of Asaph and the priests, they worshiped before the Ark of the Covenant 24 seven for 40 years, all right? But they wrote these songs that as they were ascending up towards the presence of God, because that's what they saw the Ark of the Covenant, as they were ascending up, they wrote these wonderful Psalms. And then later, when the temple was actually built, you had this big, huge ramp to get up to the Temple Mount. And so people sang these Psalms as they were ascending the mountain of the Lord. And so I thought, well, if this is all about going up to God, what does each of these 15 Psalms teach us? So I quickly went through all 15 Psalms and each Psalm has one primary nugget. So I'm going to quickly read those to you. Don't mind? I know it's boring, but I'm just going to quickly read those, those nuggets to you. So Psalm 120, calling on God for help and forgiveness. 121, praising God and declaring his faithfulness. 122, praise and worship and being in the congregation of God's people. 
One, two, three, always looking up to God. One, two, four, thanking God for his providence and protection. One, two, five, knowing God is your rock and fortress. One, two, six, praising God for his deliverance. One, two, seven, the importance of the presence of God and his blessings in the congregation and in the family. One, two, eight, fearing God and receiving his blessings. One, two, nine, remembering dark days and how God delivered you. One, three, zero, supplication and prayer for forgiveness. One, three, one, yearning for God. One, three, two, the importance of joy and corporate worship in the congregation 133 the blessing on unity and 134 praise prayer and worship in the house of God continually they are the things that those psalms are teaching us so that we can come into this wonderful presence of God okay so these psalms teach us about personal corporate prayer supplication intercession penitence praise worship family church unity and life together hallelujah because if you ever met Christians that don't go to church Right. If there's any here today, I'm sorry. Okay, but they're a bit, they're a bit weird. Okay, because I, I, I was the same. I was, I was a Christian. I came out of church for a long time, and you kind of think, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Which maybe technically you don't. Okay, you're not going to lose your salvation, but you become a little bit weird because the only person that talks to you and influences you, even though the Holy Spirit within you is, guess what? You. Okay. Now, if I spend too much time with myself, now I'm weird as it is. Now, if I spend a lot of time with myself, I get really weird, and Tracy has to drag me out of my prayer room, slap me around, make me watch a movie, and take the kids out or something. You know, so I can be a little bit more normalized. It's not right. It's not good for man to be alone. It's good to be in the body. We need times by ourselves with God, but we need to be corporately also experiencing God. Today, we experience God corporately and it was a joyous thing, right? That's what God wants for us. So it keeps us balanced. It keeps us in a place of healthiness and wholeness. All right. So ascending the hill of the Lord as another thing is intentional. You don't accidentally stumble and fall your way up into the presence of God. You don't accidentally fall up the temple mountain or I'm before the presence of God. To come into this place where we go up and ascend the mountain to the Mount of God is intentional. It is purposeful. And that means discipline. <laughs> that means you've got to be intentional. So right at this time of the day, I am going to go and spend time with Jesus. And I don't care. Who knocks on my door? I don't care what bills come through. I don't care what's on TV. I don't care anything. I don't care. But I'm going to have that time with Jesus. Because sometimes we just like, well, if I just do, oh, there's on Facebook. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Oh, I've run out of time now. Okay, if, if we live like that, you'll never come into that wonderful joy of the depth of Christ. You've got to be intentional. You've got to be disciplined. Hallelujah. Do I get an amen? amen. That's right. Good, 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 good. All right. So you can see how this is, this is something the Spirit was teaching me this week, which really kind of like made me pause for a minute. Is that this, As I was meditating on these scriptures, the Holy Spirit was saying to me, can you see the hallowed sacred way and the life that God gives us in the scriptures that gives us love, joy and peace? Because you see, the life of God is all about rhythm, going up to come down, from the place of rest to the place of work, from night to day. You see, we're, everything in this world is the opposite. You know, we get up to work and then we rest. 
You know, we like, to, uh, we like to do everything in reverse to the kingdom, but the kingdom is no, you've got to do it this way. Guess what? The day doesn't begin in the morning. The day starts at night. That's how the Bible says it. So you start from the place of rest. Then you go to the place of work. These are spiritual rhythms that God is trying to teach us. So go up to come down from the place of rest to the place of work, from night to day, from ministering God to ministering to man, not the other way around, from corporate community to family, from family to the individual, from divine feasts enjoyed corporately, to personal times with God alone. Rhythm of God, breathing in, breathing out, coming in, going out, going up to come down, going down to go back up. God's divine cycle, God's divine calendar, God's divine feast, the sacred flow of spiritual life from this beautiful lifestyle that God has given us. God has shown me that, you know, the more that we come into alignment with the things of his word and the things and the rhythms of his ways of doing things, the more we hear the heartbeat of heaven and the more we can align ourselves for more of the kingdom of God to flow through us. Because God wants us to manifest the kingdom of God. But if we're living half like in the world and half in the camp of the Lord, we're always going to have this war going on inside of us. It's like, who's going to get possession of me today? Who's going to get it? Who's going to get it? And God wants us to be in a place of peace. Peace that passes all understanding, but that can only come about as we walk more and more in the way that God has laid down for us to do it, because he knows best, even though when sometimes we're like, I don't know why I should do that, but God says I've got to do it, I'm going to do it. Hallelujah. Ascending the mountain of the Lord is the place of revelation and impartation. Why? Because it says in the scriptures, if you go up to the mountain of the Lord, he will teach you his law so that you may learn so that you can walk in his ways. So I'll give you a few examples. Moses, he went up the mountain and he got, his, he got his commandments and the Torah and he came down with a big glowing head. That was his revelation. The disciples, they went up the mountain with Jesus. Jesus revealed himself and transfigured himself. They got a revelation that petrified them and they came back down the mountain again. Um, then the other disciples, they went up the hill with Jesus. He taught them about the Beatitudes. They came down changed people. You have King David who ascended the Mount Zion and he wrote those wonderful Psalms and revelations that Psalm 119 gives us. Um, the Apostle John, he went up into heaven and he came down with the revelation of the, of the times of the church in the future. When we go up, it changes us. And when we come back down, we change things around us. This is what God wants for us. We must always come back down so that what we've gleaned can be lived out and passed on. So Isaiah 2, 2 to 3, he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. So what is this that I'm talking about? Because it's all very super spiritual, isn't it? So, so there is practical stuff. There is praising God. There's worship. There's being in the corporate body. There's being on times by ourselves. But actually, when we're going up to ascending to God's presence, we really, we don't just want to just like have this wonderful experience, but we want to come away with something. And I said this a thousand times and I'll continue to say it. But the key to coming to this place is biblical meditation. I've been preaching on this for years now. This is not a criticism. I'm just saying a lot of Christians have heard me say it year after year after year and a lot of Christians still don't do it. Now, you don't have to do it because I've said recommended to do it. But you're missing out. You're really missing out. It's the best thing ever. 
I've done it all right. I've done Bible college. I've done intellectualism. I've studied books. I've done all this and I've done all that. I've spent so many years looking at the Bible and reading it intellectually and understanding it and, and listening to it audibly and every, every way I can. But there's nothing quite like when the Spirit of God tells you deep hidden meanings into the Scriptures and it changes you and it transforms you. Hallelujah. But I would just like to do it my way. The Bible says, meditate, meditate. 190, I've got loads of scriptures here. Genesis 24, 63, Joshua 1, 8, Psalm 1, 2, Psalm 19, verse 14, Psalm 49, verse 2, Psalm 103, verse 34, Psalm 119, 15, 17, 148, Psalm 143, verse 5, etc., 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 etc. Meditate on the word of God. How many times does God have to keep telling us? How many times does he have to keep saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Hallelujah. This is the way, walk ye in it. This is the way, walk ye in it. I don't want to go that way, I want to go this way. No, but this is the way, walk ye in it. Oh, brothers and sisters, we can have so much revelation. Man, there are things that God has shown me. There are things in the word that God has shown me so beautiful, so awesome and incredible, so life-changing. And God wants everybody in this room to have that. Because none shall say, know ye the Lord, for the least to the greatest shall know him. And I will write my law in their hearts and on their minds. But you have to ascend the hill of the Lord and you have to walk in God's ways. And if you do that, he will teach you things that will utterly shake you to the core, bless you, change you, transform you, and set you free. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. Amen.